Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone on this Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, I don't cook. Uh, Amy, are you cooking at all? Oh, heck No. No, actually, I shouldn't say that. I am making mashed potatoes for the first time ever, and I would love some mashed potato recipes. I was told yesterday, don't boil the potatoes in water. Boil them in milk. So Mm. that's my big responsibility today. Because you you never really cooked. It was always your son, right? Yeah. It was always Peyton. Oh, well, he's back. So I bought some English beef short ribs yesterday at Polina Meat Market. And uh, he's going to be cooking that when, as soon as I wake him up. It's, gonna, it's an all-day affair for him to well, cook Well, there this. you go. It's good to have a man around the house to cook. You're darn right it is. Uh, so I don't uh, do any of that. but And, you know, I don't have recipes like John Cass does. I, I don't have any tips on cooking. I don't know what you're supposed to boil the potatoes in, milk or water. I don't know any of that. But I do have friends who know stuff. And so I was having this conversation with uh, Mike, the bartender at Old Florida. Mm-hmm. That's my golf club. And uh, Old Florida? Old Florida. Okay. And Mike's an institution there. Uh, and, love, what's uh, not to love about Mike? He's absolutely. Uh, and so uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, Thanksgiving like you do. And he was, and he's, you know, uh, he cooks a lot. He does the barbecuing and the slow roasting and, all of that. Mm-hmm. And so he says, so here's so he gives me his treatise on Thanksgiving and the problem. So this is a, a tip I got from Mike that may be of some utility for our listeners because I never really thought about it. So let's just start with you. You know, the turkey's done by tomorrow morning, and then it's just a matter of plating it and serving it. So let's say uh, turkey's put out at one o'clock, but you're still kibitzing, having cocktails. Uh, eating your gherkins and dipping your carrots and celery and uh, enjoying dipping a deviled egg or two. You don't know ca- carrots and celery plates with like a little No, dip? yes, right. You said dipping your carrots and celery. I mean, you mean carrots and celery. And in, celery in like yeah. a French dip or yeah. Your, yeah, yeah. your cheese plates. Yes, exactly. Deviled eggs, what, you know, what have you. And so another hour goes by and then everybody gets it, sits down maybe 2 o'clock. Okay. And, and then you, you have your meal. And um, maybe some of you have seconds. True. All right. And then, um, then it's dessert. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Leave you have your dessert. pumpkin pie. You you're have making your me hungry. Pie. Okay. You have your key lime pie if you're at a tropical location, perhaps. And uh, his point is, Mike's point here is, what, what's going on throughout the day is that food is moving into the kill zone. <laughs> So it starts out, for example, the turkey. You know, it's hot out of the oven, whatever. Yeah. 
but once the the temperature of the food starts to cool yeah between 85 and 140 degrees that's your danger zone <laughs> and so what mike does because then you know at the, then after this and you have coffee and you play cards you watch football right. and whatever. so then after then then after like it used to happen at my grandma's house you know then then you, everybody gets takes their leftovers right cuz there's right. always too much food no no. By that time, most of the food that you're going to take has already entered the kill zone. <laughs> it's the kill zone. So what Mike does is right after dinner, and he only has one helping because that's all he needs, and he doesn't want it to feel, you know. Well, way to food shame us, Mike. So this is the time where I have second helpings. Okay. He has his Tupperware and stuff. He has it at the ready, mm-hmm. and so he gets his leftovers right after the meal is done. So he's taking whatever deviled eggs he's going to take. He's taking whatever turkey and so on and so forth he's going to take. And it's already sealed up and ready to get into a refrigerator when he gets home so he can get to that uh, 38, nice 38 degrees where you don't have to worry about it. But that 85 to 140 temperature (laughs) is where bacteria can start to accumulate. Oh, okay. So – you know, it, I, I can't remember a time that it happened to me where I got sick after Thanksgiving. Oh, dinner. I did. I got sick. Oh, I got violently ill after Thanksgiving. What did you have? Um, well, it was the green bean casserole that pro- it projected out of my nostrils. I threw up so hard. Oh, thank you. It's a well, fascinating visual stand-by-me quality. I was in Glendale, Missouri, at my sister's house, and I'm like, did you wash your hands? Like, why am I throwing up but, green but bean did, casserole? Did, was, it, was it first helping, or was it green bean casserole leftovers? No, it was first helping. Oh. So. Well, maybe that had stayed out, and that Too temperature long. got into the kill zone. Yeah, the kill zone. So this is so this is what he does, and yeah, I mean, this is a way to uh, avoid it. You know, and I get a little dice because I would always take. I wouldn't take many much in terms of leftovers. But I would take deviled egg. Love deviled egg. Well, I, I know like you've eggs. you've mentioned deviled eggs six six times so far well, this morning. Well, not I mean, even dev- five thirty. Well, the devil. I mean, I'm just you get, love that, the deviled eggs, but that's Ugh. that's a kind of food that you might worry about if yeah. it's not fresh, right? Right. Eggs go go bad. So I'm just saying, here's one suggestion, and I, I probably the story is more elaborate than it needed to be, but one suggestion because I think you need to visualize how that day actually proceeds. You're not wor- running on military time, and while you're frittering about with family and friends, if you have those things, uh, watching TV, playing cards, the that food is moving into the kill zone. So again, leftovers. Get those things boxed up right away. And ready to get into that refrigerator, get down to that 38 degrees, which is your happy place for those leftovers. Are you going to be with Mike for Thanksgiving? <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh. But, but I thought it was I I know, thought that's, it, that's it was a, it was a useful, very functional tip. And he's taken, well, obviously he's, you know, got a kitchen there. He's part yeah. of that. But also, you know, he's taken all the proper courses and stuff. But I never heard that before. And maybe other people know this, and I've just bored them to tears, but... I didn't know it, and uh, I thought I'd share it. Maybe it's a tip. 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. If you have any tips or stories of projectile vomiting, green bean casserole, either way. Rich in Indian Head Park. And any mashed potato recipes. Oh, mashed potato recipes, yeah. Rich, do you got a mashed potato recipe? Uh, No. (laughs) Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Uh, what I uh, would like to say is I'd like to wish you and your families 
and uh, Mike Scott and everyone at 560 and all your listeners are uh, uh, healthy and happy and safe for uh, Thanksgiving. And I would also like to say uh, that I'm thankful, uh, and I'm sure all your listeners are, for people like you that uh, come on the air every day and give us the truth about what's going on in the country and uh, in the world. And one last thing, Dan, I do know who uh, Freddie Mercury is. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, and, know. Uh, I was just having fun. And, uh, Adam Lambert is uh, is the new yes. uh, head for uh, Queens. All right. So That's we, all I have to so say. Queen, Again, have a great weekend. Thanks for the call, Rich. Yeah, so Queen uh, with Adam Lambert fronting Queen is still in play for, yes. for uh, Ryan Field. Rich from Indian Head Park hopes. So what are um, you going to do Thanksgiving? Or are you going to wait and like, not tell us until open mic Wednesday? No, it's just that, you know, just uh, Hayek and I uh, oh. will we'll either split a Hungry Man dinner, or maybe, if he's feeling up to it, it's really his call. You know, we'll go over to the Ritz for the buffet. Oh, okay. The two of us. You know, I, so Hayek is uh, like, Hayek to me is like those... Uh, Burmese uh, uh, mountain, mountain dogs for uh, Judge Virginia Kendall. Oh my I just God. take them everywhere, whether it's appropriate or not. I got to tell you, I went to the Tom Serafin party last night, and I saw a reporter say, you know what? I worked my butt off on Ed Burke getting the details, and all anybody cares about are the service dogs. She's so frustrating that she walked away. Because <laughs> I asked her, because she told me she was covering the trial, and I said, well, have you met Beetlejuice, or what are, what are their dogs' names? Uh, Junebug, Junebug and uh, Birdie. She didn't even. She was so disgusted by the whole thing. She's like, they shouldn't be in the courtroom. And I, I just, ugh, all they yeah. care about is the dogs. I want to do oh, stories the, on the dogs. The Tom Serafin party. Uh, I was unable to attend. I know. Uh, people ask where you were, and guess what I said? You were in uh, the bathroom. Talking to Mike, the bartender at Old Florida, yeah. about uh, Thanksgiving Day food tips. But I saw John Cass. He was hugging Kim Fox. And then I hugged Kim Fox. I'm like, what is going on here? John Cass hugged Kim Fox? I saw it with my own eyes. Yes, he mm. did. Wow, boy, the holidays, huh? I know it was weird because then I went. Then I said, "How are you?" I like, "Hey, should I come here?" And she drew. Then how do you like, when somebody draws you in? How do you? You can't go. No, please. You mm. just accept it. You know. Wow, oh. sorry, I missed that uh, assemblage uh, of the leading strange. lights of Chicago. Uh, Clay in Libertyville. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys and to your families as well. I have a great story. When I was about oof, 12 or 13 years old, my cousin, who was about the same age as me, my grandmother would always, uh, kids, you know, the sparkling wine, quote unquote. Oh, yeah. My grandmother's eyesight has started to fade throughout the years and handed my cousin and I a bottle of real wine. <laughs> and my cousin... Not really care for it all that much. So lucky me, I got to drink the whole thing, Ugh. and I barely made it. Uh, another fifteen minutes after that, I was going on the ground, laughing, butt off so hard. A projectile vomited in the bathroom for about twenty minutes, and then passed out on the couch for the rest of the night. So, and then, and then they admitted you to Betty Ford to clean up. <laughs> yeah. Dry out. Yes. yes. How old were you? Uh, the plastic on the plastic on the couch definitely came into play there. Oh yeah. Oh, um, oh, the I was about <laughs> grandma had back. that, and then she had the floor runner where you could only walk on the plastic on the floor. Thanks for the call, Clay. Appreciate uh, that. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Greg Rogers Park. 
Hi, good morning. First of all, I want to say I'm very uh, thankful and grateful to you guys for all your hard work and the great radio show in the morning that you provide every every weekday. Second of all, second of all when I worked for um, Corporate McDonald's, when I had to go to food safety, that's the first thing they taught us about. They called it the danger zone, was the same thing, and, oh. and you're quite correct. Yeah, and then thirdly, I want to share a quick story. When I was four years old, my mother was hosting Thanksgiving Day dinner for both sides of the family, and being the smart aleck jerk that I was at the time, I decided to unplug the, the roaster. So my mother went down into the uh, basement to get turkey and uh, dazzle everyone, and she found out it was raw. I spent, spent the rest of the day sitting in a chair for the rest, rest of my Thanksgiving at four. Oh, my God, you ruined Thanksgiving. <laughs> Boy, I, I bet you never let that down. Thanks for the call, Greg. All right, we'll take a couple more Thanksgiving calls when we come back at 538. And also, too, another uh, safety tip for you, uh, uh, this season's COVID threat. Oh, yeah. Such as it is, 538. Emily Landon was back at it yesterday, too. But now let's head into the newsroom. Here is Mike Scott. All right, morning, you, Mike. do you want the recipe or not? Oh, I would love the recipe. I'm not kidding. Mashed potatoes. Yes. I'll yeah. write it down. I'll give it to well, you. Tell everybody. Well, the fir- first things first, do not boil your potatoes in milk. Okay. Okay? It's not good for the potatoes. They get a bad taste to them. Here's what you do. You take your milk, you warm it over the stove with two cloves of garlic and a little bit of butter. Let the butter melt, put it off to the side, just very briefly. Boil your potatoes in water with two tablespoons of salt. Okay. Drain your potatoes when they're done. Got it. Got it. Smash your potatoes with the garlic and the butter and the milk. All right? Uh Uh-huh. It's going to look like soup. Don't worry about it. Five minutes later... It'll be great. It'll, It'll be coagulate. coagulate just fine. Then aluminum foil into a 9 by 13 pan. Put your potatoes in the pan, mm-hmm. layer of cheese, layer of bacon Jeez. on the top. This put is it in a the lot oven. Of work. Put it in the oven for 20 minutes. You will never ever have mashed potatoes again except this way. Okay, That's now real right. quick. I, oh, wait, I got I'm pitching a show to the Food Network. Mike the news guy. And Mike the bartender, Mike and Mike. <laughs> there you go. You I, I made bread yesterday. I made rolls and bread yesterday wow. for Thanksgiving. Well, wait, do you so. cube the potatoes or just put the potatoes in whole? Oh, you cut them into quarters. You don't. Okay. That, I ca- don't know cares? that. I've never done this before. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Okay. It really, if it's if they're bigger potatoes, you got to add a little time to the boil. If they're smaller potatoes, they usually get done sooner. All right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. And I'll be available for consulting afterwards. <laughs> yeah, all right. There you go. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking 
personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Getting a lot of mashed potato recipes. Sorry, Mike. I don't know about this. Well, that's good. Uh, before we get to um, the uh, triple-demic, yeah, uh, we don't just have a pandemic now. We have the prospect of a triple-demic. Darn right. Uh, the less lethal it gets, the more hysteria is attempted to be induced. Uh, but before we get there, Craig and Mount Greenwood, uh, some more Thanksgiving tips. A couple more. Hey, Craig. Hey, good morning, Amy. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Yeah, there's um, uh, where you slice um, lemon, and it, it's, it works out unbelievably where it stops the oxidation of the food. Like, um, you know, avocado, when you make um, guacamole or something, that turns brown right away. You take a slice of lemon, you just throw it, like, in the container, throw it there. It stops the oxidation. There's, like, a vapor or something that's given off by the lemon, and it basically it kills bacteria, kills... It's in. It's real effective. So just uh-huh. a little tip with instead of like ice or something like that, it'll extend freshness. Just having uh, the sliced lemon. Lemony fresh. That's where the you know lemony fresh mm-hmm. saying comes from. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Craig. We were talking about the the when food gets into that eighty-five to one forty kill zone, yeah, eighty-five kill zone. degrees to one forty after it comes piping hot out of the oven, the turkey. And then it sits around and around and around for hours and hours, and then all of a sudden, five, six hours later, you're cutting it up for, uh, for, for leftovers. But little do you know if bacteria has started to form, threatening, threatening your life and the lives of all you love. <laughs> Bob and Buffalo, so speaking of inducing hysteria, Be Bob scared. and Buffalo Grove. Live in fear. Morning, Amy and Dan. Bob, are you? Did you fall down into a well? Did Bob? Does Bob need help? Adult retired. I get up early to listen to you guys. Oh, okay. I want to thank you for starting my day. Uh-huh. Uh, now, question question for you, Dan and Amy. What do your dogs, Bunky, Bubba, and I uh, get for a Thanksgiving? My childhood dog gets complete. Dinner. I'll never forget one Thanksgiving and left the house to take my grandparents home, leaving the dog in the house all alone. That idea. And uh, he got into the turkey carcass and had his extra Thanksgiving dinner, finishing off the turkey. Oh. There you go. Thanks for the call, Bob. We had a neighbor. Um, they cooked the turkey all day. They're letting it rest because, you know, you're supposed to let the meat rest after you take it out of the oven. Came in and the cat was humping she it. she said. The cat was humping the turkey. Uh-huh. Okay. All oh, right. Wait. Animal okay, stories. So gross. This is morphed into animal what stories. What do you do then? I mean, it was awful. What do you do? Well, yeah, I mean, come on. Well, know. they just took the skin off and cut up and... It anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's close enough. Yeah. This cat's clean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, cats uh, are real clean. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, let's get on to uh, COVID because uh, people need Vid. to know about their, um, uh, you know, about uh, being safe. Uh, <laughs> just make sure you're safe out there. Uh, err on the side of caution. Uh, be considerate of one another. Um, this. Uh, <laughs> what do you have? Because I've Bloom- got some great this stuff. This Bloomberg headline. So, th- you know, again, 
I don't know where people get the idea that the D.C. press corps is full of ill-informed purveyors of fear porn in service of their big government masters. Bloomberg headline. Yeah. With COVID back and winter approaching, is it safe to dine indoors? No. 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 So that's where it's at because uh, there's, a, there's a new strain. I know, and it's called HV1, and it's coming for you. There's a <laughs> I'm sorry. Dr. George Rutherford, UC San Francisco, infectious disease physician, said if you are not vaccinated, because a lot of people are traveling today and on Sunday, busiest days at the airport, you should, you have to wear a mask if you're not vaccinated. I would certainly wear a mask in the airport, especially if you're going long distances. I mean, you don't want to get sick, Dan. What's a long distance? Well, I, I, it, What's that's the, the threshold? Thing. What's the threshold? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, nice. But but he's not alone. But, but Peter Chin Chin Chong. What? Are, are oh, no. you are you Dr. going with full Peter, El D'Amato here, Doctor Peter Chin Hong? Yes. Sorry, he also is a infectious disease physician with some warnings because it's. You think? Are, are things... you just are you just making up names and ascribing <laughs> infectious disease experts no, to I'm them? Not, no, this is this is Doctor Peter. I'll just call him Doctor Peter. Because it's going to get worse. You think it, it might be bad now? It's going to get worse. So we unfortunately will expect a bump after Thanksgiving and a, another bump that continues uh, after the December holidays and then another one after New Year's. <laughs> and then another one. And then another one. But again, they said you get your COVID shot, your flu shot, and your RSV shot all at the same time. Yeah, so uh, despite to Travis Kelsey, also an infectious disease expert, his admonitions to, you know, triple up on your shots people aren't doing it fewer than 15 percent of americans have gotten the latest booster really? and uh there's a good reason why because it's unnecessary a really good piece by alex berenson to distill some of this silliness that you're hearing with the same old uh go-to experts trotting out the same old lines about idiot circles and masks and so on and so forth so the Society of Actuaries every few months puts out a report on trends in American deaths during COVID. Their most recent report released in early November, early this month, covers the period through uh, the second quarter of 2023, ending June 30th. So, and includes descriptions of both COVID and non-COVID deaths stratified by quarter and by age. As Berenson writes, the trends in non-COVID deaths are messy, especially people under 50, because of the explosion of deaths by drug overdose. Yep. But the trends in COVID could not be clearer, he writes. And he's, he presents the charts there, too, if you go to his substack, I'll tweet it out, too. It's, it's a really good piece. I'd love to get these infectious disease experts to respond to this. COVID deaths were relatively low in the spring of 2021, the happy vaccine valley, the brief period when the mRNA has worked as advertised. So this is two and a half years ago. They then soared in the summer, the third quarter of 2021. What's notable is that in the third quarter of 2021, the deaths jumped in all ages, including the highly vaccinated. Really? And although deaths, uh, COVID deaths uh, fell in younger people through the fall and winter, they kept rising from their spring 2021 lows in the older people most at risk from COVID. As a result, overall deaths 
COVID deaths rose too, roughly tripling between the fall of 2021, between the spring and fall of 2021, despite all the boosters and the mandates. Tripling between the spring, happy vaccine valley, and the fall of 2021. The soaring deaths in older people came even though nearly every senior in the United States was vaccinated. Then in the spring of 2022, so fast forward uh, to, you know, uh, the following year, all the uh, cells in this chart that uh, was published turned green at once, meaning lower. COVID ended for older people, for the middle-aged, and for the young. It ended, and it has not come back, except slightly for older people, which is not a point in favor of the jab. And you just look at the numbers. So what accounted for this end to the plague of all plagues? Well, it wasn't vaccines. What was it? It just ran its course, right? Or Well, this is, this is exactly where he's getting to. They were, the vaccines were given in early 2021, a year before the tide rolled out, and even their backers concede that they didn't work well against Omicron. What happened was Omicron. It swept through the U.S. in the winter of 2022. That's, I got it. The, the vaccinated and unvaccinated alike. Its mortality rates were much lower than earlier variants, probably less than one tenth of a percent. Though its transmissibility meant that the winter of 2022 still saw a lot of deaths, particularly in older people, no matter that they were jabbed. Ever since, various not very lethal Omicron strains have bounced around a population that has real, natural, immunity, helping make them even more of a nothing burger. Berenson concludes, in the end, the vaccines were a side, in the end, the vaccines were a sideshow. COVID sought and found a truce with its human hosts. Virus gonna virus and nature gonna nature. Love to get reaction. Maybe we'll do that next week from some of these infectious disease experts to this data and the conclusion that Berenson gleans from it, which uh, tracks the timeline pretty well, makes logical sense. I'm not, I don't hold myself out as an infectious disease expert, but it makes a lot of sense to me. And it's and it's and basically it's by the way, it's consistent with everything we knew about infectious disease before covid, some of which people purposely forgot, which is as the virus mutates, it gets more transmissible and less lethal. That's sort of the normal course, as I understand it, that occurs with viruses. Well, then why are they I mean, literally scaring us about this HV1? Just listen to this doctor, Peter. It's very transmissible. So the things that you might have used as strategies before to escape infection may not work quite as well anymore. Yeah, but the, but the point was never to escape infection. That's the big lie. And he continues to tell it. So as so many other people that have been lobotomized through the repetition of these CDC bromides, that was never the point. I know at one point they say, oh, it's, you can't get it or give it. Well, we know that's not true. And we know that it's that's not the point. The point is, yeah, people get sick, but you don't want them to get uh, critically sick, obviously, much less die. And that's the point. That's the point that's being glossed over. And by the way, you want to talk about cynical? New York City launching $4 million COVID vaccine campaign targeting poorer neighborhoods. Nothing like, pre- nothing like predating the poor. That's how ghastly and ghoulish these COVIDians are. They know or should know that this is all bull jive. It is not helpful. It is not necessary. 
but they're doing it anyway. You should perhaps some people should ask themselves why they think that is, or ask your Covidian friends. Paul and Carrie are in Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, uh, good morning, guys. I just wanted to point out: is uh, the new flying rules or suggestion similar to like the ten-second rule when you drop something? So if it's short distance, eh, it's kind of okay. But if it's long distance, yeah, wow. you should mask up. Is that kind of yeah, basically. Regardless of the fact that the, yeah, basically. if the plane holds two hundred people uh, on a short distance, it holds two hundred people on long distance. I'm, I'm at a loss to kind of. Yeah, co- thanks for the call, that. Paul. The it's reporter a great point. never asked, like, what what is co- long distance? Well, so so co- yeah, so basically, COVID says, you know, the first hour and a half of the flight, I'm going to leave you alone. But you're on that plane for uh, two hours, two and I'm a half hours. I'm coming to get you. Exactly. Row two. Yeah. You made your bed. Window seat. I'm coming for you, man. It's it was the same so thing. If, if you're These if you're are sick, if you're five feet away from someone, then you're exposed. If you stand in the safe circle, six feet away, then COVID can't touch you. It's like there's a force field around you. This is this is the kind of silliness that has penetrated the minds still of so many Americans. It's remarkable. And they're not coming back. I mean, they are not. There is no reaching them. A lot of people have come back. Not everybody's going to come back. But we knew that from the outset. We know from uh, human psychology. Go back to uh, uh, McRae's mass delusions, uh, 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 popular delusions, mass hysteria from the 1840s. The psychosis, the hysteria occurs in a macro mm-hmm. way, and the deprogramming, the return to rationality happens at the micro level. Group individuals come back, so it's going to take some time. Well, and Dr. Emily and it Landon still is. yesterday was saying, well, if you feel sick, that is the point where you're most um, infectious and could spread the disease to others. So you might think you're hungover, but you might not be. You might have COVID, so you should take a test right away. I mean, shut the front door. Seriously. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560, The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. (laughs) 
top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, you know, all the stories of record travel this uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Well, part of uh, ensuring the safety of our aviation system is uh, having uh, air marshals on flights. You don't know where they'll be. You just know they're on flights. And they got uh, your back. Yeah, when that creates a certain uh, additional layer of safety beyond the security theater that TSA performs in airports around the country. Well, um, what if there are no air marshals in the air and everybody knows it? Does that uh, compromise aviation safety? Could. So this is a fascinating interview that was done by Carly Shimkus over at Fox News. A woman who is former Air Marshal Sonia Labosco, who's now the director of the Air Marshal National Council. She uh, explains where Air Marshals actually are, the very few that are in the air. Most of them are not. Why? Carly, nothing has changed since we, we've been fighting this for almost two years. The air marshals are still down on the border. We are not flying right now. We just received an email last week that the resources are depleted as far as our flying air marshals. So we are ushering in illegal immigrants on the border and leaving the travel, traveling public unsafe. The only thing we're doing on the border is passing out water. We're not doing law enforcement duties. Yeah. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. So if Ms. Labosco is right, we have air marshals, trained federal law enforcement that are doing what volunteers could be doing in terms of providing you know, food and water to migrants uh, at the border. Are they making them sandwiches too? So this is sort of the point of, that uh, has been raised or for all this talk about a um, billion dollars for the border in exchange for signing on to uh, more aid for Ukraine and uh, aid to Taiwan and so on and so forth. Um, people have made this point before, but this really puts an exclamation point behind it, which is what does a billion dollars to hire more border agents mean if you're just going to hire more border agents to do what air marshals are doing right now, which is pass out water while you're ushering in people, uh, people who come to this country legally into the country. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in DA then a quick comment. I, I was unaware that there uh, the air marshals were almost completely deployed to the border as opposed to, you know, their job as air marshals. And this is what Labasco says about that in terms of the impact. Yes, Secretary Morick has, has said more than once that the border is secure, that the border is secure. So he is not concerned with that. We have, but we all know that the border is not secure. He will not call this a crisis. But now not only is the border destabilized, so is our aviation is oh destabilized gosh. as well. And have you seen, I mean, there have been countless, if you just get on the internet, there's countless in-flight fights between passengers for some reason or another. I don't know what well, sparks at each one's different, but you, you need air marshals. Um, that's an aspect of it. But but also you need transparency from your government. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the situation uh, on the ground and in the air is different than what I think it is. I think that's the case for most people. 
I'm sure they don't have uh, – I'm sure this, this reality has not penetrated the public's mind. Something else. For the few air marshals that are in the air, there's just a few, according to Labasco. A few air marshals tasked with a very specific mission. The only missions that we're doing are Quiet Skies missions, and those are missions that are following the January 2021 people. So we're either on the border uh, for illegal immigrants or we're following folks from January 2021. We're not doing our regular missions where we're out there looking for the bad guys. So right now on uh, most flights, you're not going to have air marshals. What do you mean by that? You're following January 2021 people. What does that mean? That means our primary mission is a little group called Quiet Skies. It's a mission called Quiet Skies that we're following people that flew into the national capital region in January 2021. You did not have to go to the Capitol or the rally, and you've been put on a specific list that TSA now has assigned air marshals to follow these people who have not had uh, any type of criminal investigation. They haven't committed a crime, but yet three years later, we're following the same individuals day in and day out. So you're saying that air marshals are now following people that were at the Capitol uh, on January 6th, and they're not tracking terrorists at all? Well, they didn't even have to be at the Capitol, Carly. They could have just flown into the National Capitol region. So if anybody was there for uh, a job interview, to visit family, we even had a gentleman that was there for a funeral. They put put on this domestic terrorist list just because of their geographic location to Washington, D.C. So these people did not even commit a crime. They weren't even at the Capitol. What? Do those people know that they're on this list? Some of them do, because when they go to the airport, they get the quadises on their boarding pass, and then they have to go through enhanced security. Then they're followed by teams of air marshals on, on any leg of flight that they have. So, yes, a lot of them do know that they're being followed, yet they haven't been vetted, and they have not committed a crime. And three years later, we're still doing the same duty, and we followed the same people over and over for three years who are no threat to this country. Well, that is chilling. I mean, what a waste of resources. But the fact, too, that even if they flew into D.C. during that time period, they're following them? How now, does, wouldn't we live in a communist country? How, how does Congress not know about this? How, how, do, how are, I mean, this is the first I've heard about it. I follow this stuff pretty closely. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how has this never been raised in a congressional hearing with Start. Let's start with Mayorkas. Uh, let's uh, include the FAA administrator. Let's include Ray. How has this never been raised? The idea that you have federal law enforcement following people on flights who are what? Just they're just in an open-ended fascist under interminable investigation after three years because they happen to be in the D.C. metro area on January sixth of twenty twenty-one. That's what she's saying. I know. Oof. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Joe in Naperville. Yeah, you know, that money was appropriated for use in certain circumstances in certain ways. And if it's not being used like that, I don't understand why there's not hearings or court cases and I don't understand why Mayorkas isn't impeached. This is absolutely ridiculous. 
Thanks for the call. Well, uh, that uh, those articles of impeachment that uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene drafted, well, if, if you don't want them under the name Marjorie Taylor Greene, fine, but uh, they better be resuscitated in advance, particularly oh, yeah. if this can be corroborated, what Miss Labosco is saying. I mean... That's chilling. I mean... Uh, they're not domestic terrorists. One was at a father's funeral. My God, please give me a break. George in Naperville. Dan, does anybody do what they're hired to do under this administration? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, right. Thanks for the call. Yeah, you know, it's you got to repurpose people based on exigent circumstances. I'm sure they would argue. Well, what are they Although, doing? why this? Why are the circumstances exigent? You can't say they're exigent circumstances on the one hand and say the border's secure on the other hand, but. That's what Mayorkas has gotten away with doing. And, I mean, the entire administration, really. Yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting you. I just think this is a continued attack on Trump and Trump supporters. The um, situation at the border, too. I mean, just some more color on that. Adam Klepp is a reporter on the ground out of Tucson. And here's what's happening every single day in uh, Tucson, San Diego, uh, in the in the tens of thousands, Bill Malusian reporting on this too. Uh, Tucson, El Paso, San Diego sectors have seen it the most, but it's not exclusive. Listen to this. Hey, Adam Cup here with K-Gun, just giving you a look at the street releases that have been happening in Nogales since September 13th. The county says over 13,000 migrants have been dropped off by CBP and Border Patrol here in the city, and there's no signs of it slowing down anytime soon. And he's got video of all these individuals (laughs) that have been released. Into you can see they're all lined up. They're waiting for the buses to come and take them to shelters in Phoenix or Tucson. There's lots of uh, family groups here. I'm watching the video now. Oh my God! So and it just goes all the way down. <laughs> Hola, de dónde eres? De Michoacán. Michoacán, México. Michoacán. Michoacán. Okay. Michoacán. So uh, a lot of migrants here from Mexico, but really coming from all over the world. I interviewed a migrant uh, coming from Guinea. So uh, the week of Thanksgiving, no end in sight for these migrant street releases. And they wonder why they're being bussed out of that area. They can't handle the load. But the fact that it's still happening. I mean, we're never going to get our country back if we don't shut the border soon. Never. Marvin, Burlington, Wisconsin. Oh, I, I don't think we, we, we're going to have we The country's lost. Uh, I really, I'm safe to be pessimistic. But, you know, they call us conspiracy theorists, you know, with our... Uh, crazed notion that the government is actually working against us. I I don't know how much more proof do we need. I mean, it is a total them against us common folk out here. And I hope people somehow maybe wake up. I mean, between all the migrants, or I say illegals, coming over to the border illegally, trying to flood us out of our uh, prosperity, and the government keeping track of tax-paying, law-abiding citizens, instead of criminals running around in the streets. I mean, 
and then what they're teaching our kids is what they're in order to avoid what they should be teaching them it's it's uh I mean, no one has control over anything except the lunatics and and i think i hate to say it but i i think we're finished we're in the start of our long slow decline thanks for the call marvin um i'd love to hear from somebody that perhaps i mean i don't know I mean, if you flew into D.C. Metro on January 6th, uh, maybe you're being followed. And maybe per what uh, Ms. Lavasco said, that uh, you know you're being followed because you're getting this enhanced interrogation and you're getting tagged when you uh, go through security and so on and so forth, as she described. Maybe there's somebody in Chicagoland that's uh, experiencing this. I wouldn't be surprised. 312-642-5600, Turnkey Line. I mean, that is really lives of others, East German stuff. If Text what message. She, if what she's saying is true. Yeah, Dan and Amy, this is the definition of a police state. I mean, it is. Yep. Sean and Darian. Yeah, good morning, guys. It's really simple. Shut the border down. Shut the freaking border down. We don't know these people. They're, they're illegals, by the way. I can't stand what people call them migrants. They're here illegally. We don't owe them shelter. We don't owe them food. We don't owe them water. We owe them nothing. I hope that when Trump gets in, he does it. It's, it this administration is a disgrace. I want to scream, but anyway. And uh, on top of that, just uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. Show right. it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks Sean. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Before we get to our next guest, uh, James Gagliano, former supervisory agent at the FBI, uh, we were talking about what... Um, what... Uh, uh, Ms. Labosco had to say in that interview on Fox News about air marshals not just being used to essentially do administrative duties at the border rather than be in the skies. But spy on people. But also that for the last three years, this Operation Quiet Skies, they have been following people mm-hmm. who were in the D.C. metro area on January 6th, even if they never went to the Capitol. Yeah, anybody that... They were- Flew in, right? So um, we want color on this. Sonia Labosco, Air Marshal National Council Director, is the person making these claims. Apparently she's a former Air Marshal. Uh, so Terry from Downers Grove says he's on a January 6th watch list, even though he hasn't been charged with any crimes. Terry, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Oh, hi. Hi, Dan and Amy. So, um, so, yeah. so, so, so you have not been, were you at the Capitol on January 6th? Yeah, I was in the Capitol. You, you might have saw it uh, written up a few times in the Epic uh, Times. I was okay. peacefully. So, so, so have you been uh, charged with any crimes? No, I have not. And are you, I mean, this is, I'm just going down the punch list of what she is saying. So when you travel, are you being tagged for enhanced security? Have, have you been in, do you know that you're being followed, followed by a, an air marshal? Yeah, I was, I was labeled a quad six, uh, unknown, uh, two years after the fact. 
And um, we still don't know if it was because I was vocal, and I think you might know that, from school board meetings or because I was at January 6th, and it was two years after the fact um, that I was tagged a domestic terrorist. And we were on the way out to Charlie Kirk's um, America Fest. My twins were VIP guests and their friends, and they took my whole family out of the line. My children were, were labeled quad ass as well at O'Hare as we were flying out to Phoenix. And I couldn't get a boarding pass. And I was waiting at the ticket gate while I had my family go through the platinum line. And I saw them take my family out. So we didn't know what was going on. They, the, the guard, they took my whole family out. I ran over there and I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, oh, it must be a random check. Then I ran back to the ticketing lady. And I'm like, what's up with my ticket? I can't, you know, I'm going to miss my family. She gave me a, um, a boarding pass to get past to the security. And I go to the security. TSA security, and then the guy shuts the whole line down, mm-hmm. tells everyone to get out of line. And uh, that's when I found out I was a quad S, which I still didn't know what that meant. And they, they thought I was on the list on accident because my name might have been someone or somebody else. And then by the time I got to the gate, um, they were boarding up the plane. My family came from somewhere else where they were searching them. And then one of the agents came up to me and said, he goes, man, he goes, you're on a list with some really bad people. I'm like, really? Uh, we and, missed and, a few flights. And so so have you had any interaction? Have you been interviewed by the FBI or been contacted by federal law enforcement? Um, I, I Yes, I had, I had a visit uh, after the fact. And um, I am not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not good. You're not at liberty to talk about it. No, I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. They knew about it. Um, when I flew out to CPAC, um, it was even worse. They sent five agents in O'Hare. To, and I, I sent you an email, some photos, Dan, I think earlier this week, if you can find it. They um, sent five agents to the uh, – um, I had to go through the enhanced security. Then I get to the gate, and I'm waiting to fly on my plane, and these five agents come up. And then they announce they're going to search everybody. I'm sorry, not search everybody. They want to check everybody's uh, um, um, driver's licenses and stuff. And I walked up to them, and I said, I have this quad ass still. And they said, please step aside. And one guy came and took my uh, pass and then searched me right there before I got on the airplane. And then when I left Washington, D.C. to come back, they sent this uh, different five agents, including an undercover air marshal. And I think I sent you the picture of that. So, so I mean, do you understand yourself to be a target of uh, the FBI, an FBI investigation, or what do you understand yourself to be, other than a quad well, S? Well, I was, I was, I was on domestic, domestic terrorist watch list. Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates, I got a call, a uh, text message in, in January uh, from his attorney. Uh, my phone said, "Hey, uh, please, you know, contact me about your situation." I spoke to him what, the next day, and I said, "How'd you get my number?" And he said, "From Congressman uh, uh, Jim Jordan." And they wrote a letter. Matt Gates wrote a letter to Garland, Ray, and Mayorkas. And then um, again, I think you have it. And he 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 said, uh, g- g- we "Give me the to know give me the upshot. Give me the upshot yeah. here. We we got to go. Sorry." But, yeah. but give me the upshot. So, so are you a target of investigation? Are you on the list? Are you off the list? Do you expect to be I'm charged? Do you not? Do you know? I, I, yeah, I suddenly got off the list 
after Matt Gates sent that letter to Garland, Ray, and Mayorkas in March. They acknowledged receipt of the letter from Matt Gates, but they never answered any of his questions, not once. He wanted to know, are you maintaining a list of school board parents? Am I on that list? Are you maintaining a list of everybody who was in January 6th? Are you maintaining uh, – there was four – I just woke up. I'm sorry. There was yeah, four yeah, those yeah. Four. No, I get it. Well, okay. So, Thank you for – And they never, okay. they, never answered, they never answered his questions. But as far as, you, as far as you know, you're off the list. Yeah. I flew next – the next time I flew after that, I was no. off the list. I took my TSA pre-check privileges, which I had for 10 years, and I'm a platinum flyer. And we still don't know if it was because I was the outspoken school board, you know, school board parent. Or it was two years after January 6th. Um, I haven't been arrested. I, I didn't do anything. I was there peacefully. I was back in my hotel before anybody even got into the Capitol. Okay. So right. we, you know, Terry, Terry, we got to go. But but I appreciate uh, the story. And, yeah, it goes to the point that we're making and that uh, Sonia Labosco is making. Thanks for that, Terry. Uh, we're now pleased to be joined by James Gagliano, a retired FBI supervisory special agent and a doctoral candidate in Homeland Security at St. John's University. It used to be the Redmen, but that was too politically incorrect. So it's with the red flash now, the red wave. Uh, anyway, James Gagliano, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Red Storm? Uh, yes, James, thanks Dan, for joining us. And hey, good to join you. And, yes, it is now the Red Storm. The, the Red Men is considered you know, politically incorrect. So yes. um, it is Her- the Red Storm. Horrific, yes. Um, and Rick Pitino turning that basketball program around, so that's fun. But what's not fun is the story that uh, Sonia Labosco is telling on Fox News, what you just heard from a caller here in Chicago, in the Chicago metropolitan area. I mean, do you know about this, uh, this idea that air marshals are following people around who were in the D.C. metro area uh, three years ago, even if they have not been charged with any crimes at this point? Yeah, heard about it the same way you did by uh, by listening to the news and seeing it on there. Yeah, it, 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 it does have a chilling effect on folks. And I think that's the crux of what you're going to want to get into in regards to the FBI. The fact that it appears that um, folks of a particular political persuasion are being treated differently in our justice system than other folks. Well, it's more than that. It's I mean, that's part of it. But it's this is like this is Stasi stuff. Air marshals are following people around who are not charged with any crimes. And if, you know, for example, uh, just taking that story at face value, we have no reason not to believe it, considering he hasn't been charged with any crime. We're three years removed just about from January 6th. Um, They're following around. He's got a special designation. His family's getting rousted at airports. I mean, what the hell is that? Yeah, it does. uh, I mean, uh, this is going to sound like the understatement of the year, but it does sound um, extremely peculiar, especially with the rules in place right now, the attorney general guidelines, that for even a preliminary inquiry to be opened up in the FBI, it has to meet certain metrics. And yes, conducting surveillance on somebody or on a family requires certain metrics and certain sign-offs by, um, you know, somebody like me who would have been a brick-level supervisory special agent and then on up the chain. So, yes, it sounds very disconcerting. Um, it's not the FBI that I know. And again, I don't have all the facts. Maybe there's a little bit more to this. Um, but Director Ray and, and, and A.G. Garland seem to have a reticence to, to allay the American public's fears yeah. that the FBI has begun to overreach. So I think that's your point. 
Yeah, well, that's a that you're right. That is an understatement. But we have, and now with the more of this video being released from January 6th, we have this. Uh, Just the news reported this. John Solomon's outfit and confirmed the authenticity of this video. This is, uh, I'll just play it, it's a brief clip. This is a plainclothes, ostensibly a plainclothes Metro DC police officer talking to another uh, police officer on January 6th at the Capitol, uh, talking to another DC Metro officer in uniform, undercover talking to DC Metro, and this is that exchange. Well, we go under cover as antiques in a crowd, so can you put that back in? All right, thank you so yep, much. Yeah, it feels better. Did you guys get sprayed? This was uh, after tear gas had been deployed, which is why he's saying you feel better. Are you guys okay? Blah, blah, blah. But uh, undercover saying we go undercover in the crowd as Antifa talking to a uniformed D.C. Metro police officer. And we get the stonewalling from Christopher Ray and others. Uh, you get even the, the former the Capitol Police chief at the time, Stephen Sun, saying very peculiar communications. I was cut out of the loop. It wasn't normal how this was handled. And um, and 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 the and you wrote a piece for uh, City Journal about fixing the FBI. I mean, the the window to fix the FBI in the minds of the people like me who would otherwise be very deferential to the FBI is closing rapidly. Yeah, Dan, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I'll just I'll pump the brakes just a little and say this very quickly. The FBI has been around for 115 years. It's done some colossally great things. And, and I truly still believe this, though I believe it's broken and needs r- repair. I will still say this and suggest that the FBI is the premier law enforcement agency in the world, not just in the country. Now, having said that, and I highlighted uh, some of these things in the City Journal piece you're talking about. There are changes that have to be made, and I'll tell you why we've changed. I was in the FBI from 1991 until 2016 for a full 25 years. I served under four of the only eight Senate-appointed FBI directors. So there's only been eight since J. Edgar Hoover and now to, to, to Director Ray. Here's what's changed. It's not the agency itself, but it's the recruits, the people we are bringing in. And and Assistant Director Retired Chris Wecker spoke on this on uh, Fox News recently. He and I are close friends and confidants. But the workforce, the talent pool, the agents that we are drawing from the 20- and 30-year-old sets, they are becoming more intellectual. That's a good thing, right? More education. They are becoming more liberal. Look at the latest Harvard statistics. Harvard, like a lot of the effete liberal uh, academic institutions, especially in the Ivy League, they are, they are trying desperately to become more diversified in everything, Dan and Amy, but thought. The last class of kids that came into Harvard, 65% professed to be liberals and Democrats, 8% professed to be conservatives. So that's where we're drawing our talent from. So... How does that change things? Because somebody's a Democrat means that they can't be a good investigator? No. But their thought process, what's inculcated in their minds on campus, is that you don't just follow the law bereft of fear or favor in investigations, but you put your own imprimatur on it. You, if you think that this group or this agency, this organization, this collection of individuals is more loathsome than another group doing the same things, 
you treat it a little bit differently. And that, in a nutshell, my friends, is what I think the problem right now with the FBI. So when wow. you arrived to the FBI 25 years ago, was it politicized? Well, I mean, there's all, you know, the FBI director is a political appointment, right? Really? So, the, so the, the president gets to pick that person. They serve for a term of 10 years. So it's supposed to be able to cross over presidential administration. But the rank and file have always been agents. And they were, generally speaking, hewing more to the conservative side. Since Director Mueller, who serves as FBI director for 12 years, and then Director Comey, who was there for just shy of four years, and now Director Ray, they have brought more civilians in, people in, put in positions in charge at FBI headquarters that are not brick agents that moved up through the ranks. And I well, think that's so, so, that they're well, having. Well, so this is an important point because, you know, for, uh, we talked to Kevin Brock, former assistant director for counter intel for the FBI and others, uh, retired FBI. And, you know, a lot of the discussion is, you know, it's the leadership problem, but the rank and file. And you're saying, no, actually, it's a rank and file problem as much as it's a leadership problem, which is very interesting because the point then is if it is being um, – undermined if it's essentially a fifth column action within the FBI then I don't know how you fix that any more than you fix Harvard or Yale what, what, what or do we have to wait for FBI agents to be out protesting on behalf of Hamas before we recognize that the thing is being uh, corrupted from the inside out no I agree with uh, Kevin Brock and and I know Kevin he's a good man I agree it is a leadership issue because if I'm the boss and people are coming onto my squad or into my division, and they're not following the evidence bereft of fear favor, and I detect any type of partiality or bias, I correct that. It's a leadership issue. The young kids that are coming in, many of them are idealistic. They want to come in and do the right thing. But again, look at what's going on in our college campuses and universities. As the agent pool is becoming more educated, what do I mean by that? I didn't have a master's degree when I came in. Yeah, I graduated from West Point. I was an Army officer, but I didn't have a master's degree. The vast majority of kids that are coming in now are much more educated than I am. That's where leadership matters, and that's where telling people, no, you cannot do this. You can't cook the books like what happened on January 6th, where they decided that they were opening domestic terrorism cases in all 50 states, which occurs causes everybody to say, oh, my God, we've got these white supremacists, neo-Nazis, Trump MAGA people protesting, and there's cases in all 50 states. No, it was one incident, and they decided to use those numbers to suggest that domestic terrorism was this huge scourge on the far right when it was one incident of a bunch of clowns going into the Capitol like they shouldn't have, yet they don't look at it the same way in 2020 when police precincts were being burned a federal courthouse in portland was occupied and firebombed that's different but the clowns going into the capitol dressed as a shaman those folks are now going to rot in jails for a long time well i mean yeah i hear you but i mean unless you have unless like you and brock go back or you get more uh people like you and brock in the leadership positions in the fbi then then it's it's not fixable. It's going to get worse, uh, whatever worse looks like. It, I mean, it just it, you're you're saying it's a it's both a personnel and a cultural problem, which I agree with. But but that is not easily uh, reformed. No, but then then you're going to suggest that the wonderful uh, you know test democracy we have that's only been around for a little over two centuries is not reformable either, because the no. FBI is a reflection of our country. And, and 
that's where we're at. And you guys talk about it every day, about the changes, and these are the things that are ongoing right now. Do I think it's fixable? I do, because I'm, I'm ever the eternal optimist. Do I think it's concerning and damning? And do I think that people like you that speak about this have a right to do that and are, are sounding the clarion call? Yes, I agree with you there. James Gagliano, retired FBI supervisory special agent and a doctoral candidate in Homeland Security at St. John's University. James, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me. You guys take care. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Catherine Boyle is a partner at Mark Andreessen's venture capital firm, Andreessen Horowitz. You know, Andreessen, billionaire, founder of Yahoo. U of I grad. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, remarkable speech she gave at this recent uh summit of, for venture capital firms, the Shifts Defense Ventures Summit. Really remarkable. I mean, I'm serious. The, the, well, you're going to hear it, the pertinent parts. Uh, whoever the Republican nominee is, let's say it's Trump since he's the obvious front runner, right. should hire Catherine Boyle as a speechwriter, although she won't take it, that whatever, that would be a massive pay cut, probably doesn't want the affiliation, do her own thing, but should certainly enlist her attitude and the way she presented these thoughts about America and what's at stake, how America maintains its hegemony, how we burnish our exceptionalism, and what threats we face. How do you win a war against America? Because deep down, we know how you win a war against America. You win a war against America when we stop innovating, when we become scared of the technology and the drive that resides deep in our bones, when we cease to be the world's exporter of innovation, and cede that role to the CCP or a global consortium of dunces. You win a war against America when we stop believing that technology is a force for good, but rather black magic to be scared of, feared, controlled, and ultimately extinguished by people who write white papers for a living. You win a war against America when you greet builders with suspicion, when your instinct is to squash the weirdos doing weird things on the frontier. You win a war against America when old companies become too big to fail and squash the new ones around them. When we trust age more than we trust vitality. When everything is old, from our infrastructure to our industrial base to our Congress people, because we've conquered and discouraged the new. You win a war against America when individual identity becomes more important than collective duty when we turn inward and we focus on our neuroses rather than the needs of our families and our communities. Fifty years ago, 
Philip Reith called the modern man the psychological man in the triumph of the therapeutic, noting that psychological man is likely going nowhere, but aims to achieve a certain speed and certainty in his going there. In just 50 years, our new neuroticism is a meme who would, who would mock men who would rather build things rather than go to therapy, an impulse that we used to celebrate in this country. You win a war against America when we believe the doomer memes and stop thinking that life has meaning at all. A recent Wall Street Journal poll found that faith, family, and the, and the flag, the very things that used to define our national character, have eroded in the last 25 years. Less than 30% of people say that patriotism is important to them now, down from 70% only two decades ago. Religion, having children, community, all fared the same. You win a war against America when it's nihilism all the way down. You win a war against America when you believe the planet is fallen and you perpetuate your own extinction. When doom mongers are telling us that we'll need to bomb data centers and people in Washington take them seriously. You win a war against America when our great cities are ruled by crime rings. When businesses are shuttered because security is meaningless theater. When we deride our police. When good people are driven out by bad policy. You win a war against America when fentanyl pours across our borders, manufactured by an adversary that still remembers the opium wars and delivered by cartels that have no respect for human life. 100,000 of our countrymen and women are dead every year in a silent onslaught that's being met with a collective shrug. You win a war against America when toys like TikTok that give our, give our enemies direct access to the anxious minds of teenagers. When you invest billions in the CCP's killer app and just pretend that's the way the business has to work. You win a war against America when you have us both sides in terrorism. When nuance, and it's complicated, get in the way of condemning barbaric enemies who would slaughter children in their bedrooms as they plead for mercy. When the gleeful maiming and mutilation of entire families is met with a yes, but context. You win a war against America. You win a war against America when you no longer believe in good and evil, civilization and destruction, just fine people on both sides. You win a war against America when many in our media and universities are more aligned with the propaganda of Hamas than the interests of this country. When elite college kids down the street from where we are sitting right now would broadcast glory to our martyrs on their buildings, but would never dare honor a veteran. You win a war against America when the debate is no longer security versus privacy, but our more modern and far more dangerous debate of security versus grievance. You win a war against America when we can no longer speak freely in the land of free speech, when we consume more than we create, when we attack capitalism, the engine of our growth, as though we don't deserve and shouldn't celebrate the fruits of our building. You win a war against us when you have us clinging to false histories rather than the values that bind us together. When we've forgotten the beauty of this American experiment. When we cease to be a nation of builders, dreamers, and hustlers who like to work, who like to win, and who always seek to build anew. You win this war against America silently and methodically, and without even needing to fire a single shot. Any questions? 
312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Did she leave anything out? I think she covered it all. I think she did, too. That was pretty comprehensive. That was quite a riff, which is why I wanted uh, everybody to hear all of it. A lot of territory covered there. And the uh, dichotomy she presented couldn't have been more poignant. I particularly like the uh, people who would uh, honor a martyr, quote-unquote a martyr, a terrorist that they call a martyr, but would never think to honor a veteran of this country, like those animals at these Ivy League schools celebrating barbarism. But, I mean, just the larger the larger distillation of all of the self-inflicted wounds and uh, how those wounds are not being treated from the identitarianism that she referenced to the hatred it foments, Thomas Sowell. If the left got its way, the identitarian left got its way, everything it wanted tomorrow, what would be happening? We'd be killing each other. Mm -hmm. How do you win a war against America? Okay, so that's how you win it. It's happening. How does America fight back against mostly, mostly, not exclusively, of course, she mentioned the CCP and TikTok being one illustration. But it's mostly internal. We know that technology is the escape hatch for a nihilistic world. And that democracy demands a sword. And sometimes we have to use it to defend ourselves, our allies, and civilization. Now, some people have been critical of us that we name this movement American Dynamism. But I'll tell you, never have two words in the investing community meant so much and stood for something so real, civilizational truth. We often focus on the word America, the obvious beneficiary of our building. But American was meant not only as as a symbol of what we build for, but the unseriousness we reject, a global elite that would be so foolish and so inane as to have Iran chair the UN's most recent human rights convention. America is order. That is the order we want. It's the order our allies want, and we should never be ashamed to say that. But even more important than us choosing the word America is the word dynamism, the teleological end to technology supremacy. We aren't American defense or defense tech or hard tech or deep tech or future tech or American deterrence. All of those things are a means to an end. But what is that end? Dynamism is growth, movement, momentum and opportunity. And the techno-optimist manifesto, Mark Andreessen said, we believe everything good is downstream from growth. We believe not growing is stagnation, which leads to zero-sum thinking, infighting, degradation, collapse, and ultimately death. Dynamism is life. And we embrace dynamism and the values upon which this country was founded because they are true and they are worth defending. Dynamism makes America the country people want to be from, to immigrate to, and to build a life, a career, a family, or a a company in. Um, By the way, um, 
Mark Andreessen's Techno Optimist Manifesto is worth a read too. You can read that at his Substack, and I think I, I think I said Andreessen uh, was the founder of Yahoo Netscape. Mm-hmm. Netscape, not Yahoo. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. Matt on the expressway. That woman must be a Gen Xer that grew up in the Reagan era. Um, my thought is that we are at the intersection of the two most powerful um, generations, the most misguided and misinformed generations, which are the baby boomers and the millennials, have the most money and have the most power over everything. And that is how we ended up here. Thanks for the call, Matt. Yeah, I think she probably is. I mean, I don't know her age, but just from watching the speech, looking at her, I think she's Gen X. I think she is. Ron, Southside. Good morning. You know, I'm not really concerned about her age. Uh, she was very clear, very succinct, covered every area, like you said, Dan. So just thanks for playing that. That just uh, kind of uh, inspired me. And a lot yeah. of more people need to, to hear that. And uh, you, you and Amy have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And thanks for playing that, Dan. You too, Ron. Thanks for that. You know, I mean, it inspired me too, just because, you know, you focus on the negativity and the beatings that we're taking all the time. And also because there's just a lack of individuals with platforms, particularly in, um, you know, the jet set venture capital space and the tech space, the, you know, the billionaire and multimillionaire class. Uh, which she's certainly a part of as a partner at Andreessen Horowitz, I can guarantee you that, speaking moral clarity, speaking with moral clarity about America and America's role in the world. I mean, you just don't hear that. You barely hear that from politicians. You certainly don't hear it from any Democrat. That sort of full-throated defense of America. Yeah, the world's going to move forward. Is America going to lead the charge or not? And it's just, I mean, it, it is. It's like spring water. Uh, over your face. It's just that refreshing. Tony Downers Grove. Hey, Dan. Um, you know, some of the things is it, it's, it's been going on. We know we've talked about it. It's indoctrination of, of the students, of course, of, uh, in education. But it's also when, when, you're, when you're calling uh, patriotism fascism and you're equating it to that. Um, putting nationalism in a in a bad light, but it's also the social media aspect. She was talking about technology. Now I was on Netflix last night, and what do I see? Stamped from the beginning, based on Ibram Kendry's book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what what's the goal here? And that and that's I mean that's the question that we have to attack. Um, and I don't know if we're doing a, a good enough job. The other thing is. I have friends telling me, why do you go on Facebook? Why do you, why do you say things? You know, employers look at that. They'll fire you. And I said, do you guys realize what you're saying? I do realize what you're saying. And they said, well, it's been going on forever. And I'm like, but you're, you're talking about just an opinion. You're not talking about causing anyone harm. You're expressing your voice. You're pointing things out. And then I have to be afraid, 
even at my age, that if I want to go get employed, that I'm going to be looked at and I'm not going to get hired because of that? That's a sad state. Enjoy your Thanksgiving and try not to get into the geriatric, uh, geriatric discos down in Naples. There you go. Thanks for the call, Tony. Um, so just a little bit more from Catherine Boyle, because uh-huh. why not? She's on a roll. Oh, yeah. Uh, let her have the last word on this segment. Ensuring America wins the war against her. How do we win a slow and methodical silent war being waged against us right now? Well, it takes will and it takes courage. Every day I talk to young people who want to work in tech or become founders. And I ask them what should be a simple and obvious question. It should be instinctual to answer. Not about their product market fit or how they're taking a company from five to 50 people but a more essential question. What do you believe? Why will people follow you? I might as well ask them, what is your creed? What will you shout from the rooftops, even if you're maligned for it? It's no accident now that when you go to the Andreessen Horowitz website, the first thing you see is a Walker Percy quote that summarizes the conundrum of modern leadership, the psychological man's predicament. You live in a deranged age, more deranged than usual, because despite great scientific and technological advances, man has not the faintest idea of who he is or what he is doing. To go back to that psychological man, he doesn't know where he's going, but he aims to achieve a certain speed and certainty in his going there. We don't win a war against evil ideologies unless we know who we are, what we stand for, and where we are headed. And if we lose this silent war, the silent war for American values, it will not be because we don't have the know-how to build missiles and hypersonics and attritable systems and all of the things that we are going to discuss today in haste. It will be because we doubt our inheritance, because we doubt the beauty and the nobility of the American experiment. And by sitting here today, by being here today, we are making a choice. A choice to build new things that may fail, because we believe not only can the future be better than the past, but it has to be better than the past. A choice to reject the ideology of doom and nihilism that permeates our culture. We choose to build for America, to fight for America, and to defend America's goodness despite her shortcomings and despite her critics, because we know that American dynamism is true and the key to a safer and more prosperous civilization. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's really difficult to overstate the importance, at least in terms of promise. You know, the challenge will be to see if Javier Mille is as shrewd on the inside as he was on the outside. But the promise of what Mille could be for Argentina 
and by extension South America, and by extension Central America, and by extension the Western Hemisphere. Uh, he is speaking with moral clarity, and the antics are entertaining, and it's okay to be entertaining. It makes important ideas accessible to people. You bring your ideas to where people actually live. That's a good thing. That's what Milton Friedman did. That's why he was on the Phil Donahue show all the time. That's why he did Free to Choose, making these important ideas about how a free society should be ordered, how commerce should be conducted among a free people, accessible to people. That's a good thing. But it's not the only thing. The uh, Mises Institute, a couple of scholars at the Ludwig von Mises Institute, today, talking about the Argentine election over the weekend. Today is a historic day for liberty, only comparable to the fall of the Berlin Wall and communism. Well, it could be. It could be. And if Mille is able to do, gosh, a, a quarter of what he is setting out to do, as he is articulated in no uncertain terms, then it will live up to that. Because that revolt that uh, was sparked in Argentina and and manifested itself in the results, his landslide victory this past weekend, that will spread to other countries. And if we get new leadership in this country next year and align with Mele, now we're really cooking with fire in the West. So that's uh, perhaps an optimistic scenario, but it's a realistic one, given what happened, given his victory. For more on this, we're... Pleased to be joined by Steve Moore, economist and author of Godzilla. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, Dan. Uh, you are so right about the importance of this election. Now, I, I bet a lot of your listeners are like, well, why do I care about what's happening in Argentina? You know, that's, uh, you know, half a continent, continent away from us. But, you know, it's it's a it's a sonic boom politically what happened there. I mean, for those who don't follow Argentina uh, politics, I mean, this is a country Remember, Dan, that, you know, 100 years ago was one of the five wealthiest countries in the world. Yeah. And it was almost on par with the United States in terms of its per capita income. Not quite, but but close. So how do you go from being one of the richest countries in the world in 100 years to being have despair and poverty everywhere in the country uh, where people's, uh, you know, uh, livelihoods have have been ruined by socialist policies year after year after year. And one part of it, there's so much of the story that I find interesting, but we're just one little side point. You know, uh, the American media and uh, the arts have, have celebrated, they, you know, the, the famous play Evita about Eva uh, Perone. Right. She, she was she was not someone to be celebrated. She and Juan Perone destroyed Argentina. <laughs> they turned Argentina from a free market country after World War II into the poorhouse with socialist policies. Why is it, Dan, that uh, Evita is is uh, lionized here in America? It is yeah, because because of because of Madonna's portrayal. No, because we're we could, <laughs> because a lot of people don't know anything, and because Hollywood likes to glorify certain dictators. I mean, that, we know this. I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, I, obviously you're right. Yeah, and, it's a side point. But my major point, though, is that uh, now you have this finally, finally. I mean, it's it's such a positive thing that happened there because finally the people in Argentina uh, finally rose up in revolt. 
And they finally said, this socialism is destroying our country. And it took them 40 years to realize that, Dan. But they finally are rising up in revolt. That's how it's hope. There's hope for Illinois. Or, yeah. How do you pronounce Exactly. Is it Malone or Malone? How do you pronounce it? Mele. 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 Yeah. So Mele. he wants to adopt the U.S. dollar as the national currency. Do you think yes. That's... Yes. Very smart. Very smart. Yes. I was just writing a column on that this morning. You know, they have to dollarize. They have to. They, do you know what the inflation, by the way, it used to be that it would take about four uh, pesos to buy, a, uh, you know, uh, Argentine pesos to buy a dollar uh, right. 20 years ago, four pesos to buy a dollar. Now it's like 300 pesos. What? to buy a dollar. And I just had one of my good friends just got back to Argentina and said, that's just the official exchange rate. He said, if right. you're actually in Argentina, it's not 300, it's 600 pesos to get $1. Oh in other words, they're just, just they completely. Well, yeah, they've destroyed. got, I mean, we, we, we mentioned this on Monday uh, in doing the, the review of what happened yeah. over the weekend that uh, October, the inflation rate in Argentina clocked in at 143%. So you think you're taking it in the shorts at a supermarket? Hold on. That that was for the month. For the month of October. Yes, right. (laughs) I know. But I mean, but I mean, my point is to say, you think you're taking it in the shorts in America at the grocery store, you know, (laughs) right? Think about if you're in Buenos Aires. Yeah. Now the cool thing, I mean, you made, there's so much, so many interesting parts about this story, but this guy, uh, he, he was campaigning. He, he at one point, you know, Grover Norquist, no tax pledge. You know yeah. that he, he took, took it. Grover I know, but he he took it a step further. He went on national TV and mm-hmm. said, "I will cut off my arm if mm-hmm. I raise taxes." <laughs> and then he took. He went on another show, and they asked him, "What is he going to do about the budget?" And he came out with a chainsaw. <laughs> he said, I'm going to take a chainsaw to the budget. Boy, you need that in Chicago. We need that in Washington, D.C. So, I mean, there's hope. By the way, I just find it so funny. I mean, the international bankers, all these hoity-toity you know, political leaders are terrified by what's happening in Argentina. Well, of course they are because they uh, see the possibility of exactly what I said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, uh, there's a lot of other countries struggling, too. Um, And, uh, you know, we mentioned this um, the other day, too. You know, Marco Rubio made a good point in an interview he gave to a Florida media outlet. This was before uh, Mele's victory over the weekend. But he was talking about uh, Central and South America, which, you know, we don't talk perhaps enough about. We don't pay enough attention to when we're focused on China and Iran and Russia and the Middle East. But uh, right in our backyard here. And how misaligned the Biden administration is with uh, partners we could have in the region, but have given up on America because just like we see overseas with the Iran nuclear deal and our energy policy, we treat our enemies like our friends and we cut deals with our enemies while we give our allies a hard time because we disagree with a particular policy that doesn't fit our leftist orthodoxy. And he gave many examples, uh, El Salvador, Bukele uh, in uh, Guatemala as well, when the Dominican was dealing with a, a, a migrant problem with Haitians coming o- across their border. Yep. I mean, and, and so so the idea that's why I said a big caveat to this, it seems to me, is we need to get new leadership in this country for all kinds of reasons. But one of them is so we can align with our allies in Central and South America. Well, how can we do that when we've got a president who's aligning himself with China? 
I mean, you saw right. what happened last right. week, you know, in San Francisco. It was just, uh, you know, Amy, it was an outrage. And by the way, not just, I'm just not poking up my finger at, at Biden. How about these CEOs, Dan and Amy, of major American companies from Google to BlackRock with Blackstone to J.P. Morgan? They gave President Xi, who's like, you know, a, a tyrant, uh, a standing ovation. I mean, look, I'm for the almighty dollar. I'm for American companies to be profitable. But how about a little patriotism here? I mean, this is we're on the verge of World War Three with China. It's it's like the appeasement of Hitler in the 1930s. It's the craziest thing that these companies and, and Biden, why does Biden do that, by the way? Why does Biden suck up to China? Because when they go over, when he goes over there, or John Kerry goes over there, they say, oh, yeah, we care about climate change. And, oh, well, he cares about climate change. He must be one of our allies. By the way, they don't care about climate change. They're just, they're just you know, using us. Uh, and so it's, it's just like we have a confederacy of dunces in America that don't realize who our friends are and who our allies are. Uh, we need to embrace, as Reagan did, the people who stand for freedom and free enterprise and peace. And uh, everybody should read John Kennedy Toole's book, Confederacy of Dunces, since you brought it up, too, while they're at it. Um, yeah. Speaking speaking of... I never answered Amy's question about dollarizing. Yes, yes. Well, of course. This, this is what they need to do. They need, this is, by the way, how China, one of the ways China got rich in the 1980s, you know, starting in the late 80s through around, you know, the recent times, they dollarized their the yuan. And so they they basically contracted out their monetary system to the, the more stable dollar. That's when we had a stable dollar. And boy, did that that was a big part of China's huge success. And Argentina needs to do that. Well, the other thing he wants to do is eliminate the central bank. I mean, I don't want to put Jay Powell out of, a, out of a job here, but, you know, exactly. I'd like to see oh that. My God, that's why central bankers are just, I mean, I've been reading all the stories of oh my god this guy's the most dangerous tyrant that's ever walked on the planet <laughs> he's a he, right he's he's the tyrant when he says look uh, private business you want to do business with communists that's fine but as a government i'm not getting i'm not signing any pacts with communists in china or nicaragua or cuba or venezuela and and just for, first of all the statement about the anti-communist statement is one layer of it and the other layer is somebody a politician who actually distinguishes between the state and the private sector yes yep i mean it, he's he is a little bit like trump in the sense that he's a, an economic populist uh and he understands the the rage of the of the citizenry around people are just sick of big government and people are sick of government telling people what they can do and what they can't do Trump tapped into that. So did this new Argentinian president. And I think this could be like a, a, you know, this could spread around the world. And wouldn't that make the world a better place if we got rid of these arrogant politicians who think they know all the answers and take away our money and inflate our currency? And you look at Argentina, by the way, folks, pay attention. How did they get into that crisis? They borrowed and borrowed and massively mm -hmm. increased their debt and the size of government. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, a lot of it does. Uh, Steve Moore, economist, Godzilla author. Thanks for, uh, as always, Steve, thanks. Have a happy Thanksgiving, guys. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Good piece about K through 12 education uh, from our next guest, John Miltimore, in which he uh, reminds us what uh, Carl Sagan said uh, decades ago. You know Carl Sagan, billions and billions of stars. That Carl Sagan, American astronomer. Mm-hmm. Billions. My experience is this is Sagan. My experience is you go talk to kindergarten kids or first grade kids. You find a class full of science enthusiasts, and they ask deep questions. What is a dream? Why do we have toes? Why is the moon round? What is the birthday of the world? Why is grass green? These are profound, important questions. They just bubble right out of them. You go talk to 12th grade students, and there's none of that. They've become leaden and incurious. Something terrible has happened between kindergarten and 12th grade, and it's not just puberty. Well, I mean, boy, if that was Sagan's observation several decades ago, what would it be now? Because things have gotten markedly worse, in part because, as I want to argue, so little has changed in the intervening time. Even with uh, what we know to be true about how kids learn, it doesn't matter. All we've done is funnel more money on the front end and be satisfied with credentials on the back end even if those credentials don't mean much and certainly don't mean much don't mean as much as they did several generations ago well um we talked uh, a bit uh, earlier in the show that Catherine Boyle speech about uh, America's uh, silent war those who seek to undermine America how do you win a war against America how about by destroying the schools from the inside for more on this, we're pleased to be joined by the aforementioned John Miltimore, who is the editor at the Foundation for Economic Education, fee.org. John, thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on, Dan. Yeah, so, I mean, just uh, develop, uh, your, since it's your piece, you pulled the uh, Sagan reference from A Bygone Era, which is a great one. Um, y- your distillation of that, including uh, as per conversation you had with a, a cheesehead, a friend of yours. <laughs> Yeah, no, I am a cheesehead. We got the big game tomorrow. Um, yeah, for me, it was ama- amazing seeing Carl Sagan see something that he observed that we're not supposed to talk about in America. We're, we're really supposed to kind of cheer on the, the, the school system and, and, and talk about how great it is. Sagan looked at it, and he saw something, you know, very different. And he, he doesn't say why the schools were failing. That's something I talk about in the article. Um, but first, I, I was just impressed that he, he, he said this, and he was being challenged during his interview when he said it. And he said, no, 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 our schools are, are failing. And, and the truth is we do run schools today like almost like prisons. They're very regimented, very structured. Um, and it is a system that has been failing for decades. If you go back since the, the Department of Education was, was you know, launched in the, the mid-1970s, we, we've gotten worship across everything. Everything, every metric we have, we've gotten worse, even though we keep spending more and more money. I think in, I think in Chicago there, the average you know, per capita spending is close to $30,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and the, the thing that Sagan didn't address, like I said, is why they're failing. But I, I think we've got to just acknowledge it is a system. The system we have does not work, no matter how much we fund it. And, and this is something I, I just had a parent-teacher conference with my, my daughter's middle school. And it, it, I was so impressed that the 
teachers themselves, this is not about the teachers. I think this is something people need to understand. There are good individuals in school systems. They, they care about your kids. They want to educate your kids. They want a good school. It's the system that is a disaster. It, it has all the wrong incentives. It's really about churning out money. It's about empowering unions. It has all the wrong incentives, and we've been ignoring it for decades. Well, right. And uh, the good news is that school choice is on the march in a lot of places. But the but the bad news is uh, it's still painstaking, uh, the expansion, uh, particularly depending on the uh, you know political uh, power structure in a, in a given state, even in Texas, where they struggle to see uh, school choice advance. It is, and this isn't, you know, something as simple as Democrat and Republicans. If, if you look, there's a lot of, you know, Democrats in cities who are getting behind the, the, the school choice movement, whereas, like, if you look at, at in Texas, you know, unions really have a good foothold in, in, in the Republican Party there. there there's a lot of, uh, you know, Republicans who are vociferously opposing school choice. So this is complex politically, but I think you're right. The march is on. Like, <clears throat> and it's largely because people are, Americans are finally seeing what Carl Sagan saw 30, de- 30 years ago. You know, um, they're seeing that, that this isn't working. And when you pointed out, when, when Sagan first observed that, okay, I was in school about that time. I was in high school, uh, maybe middle school when he, when he wrote that. I'm like, I would have thought, oh, my school's okay. Um, but he saw how bad they were. And since then, it, it's, be, it's gotten so much worse. Kids are just inundated with all kinds of, let's face it, you know, it's more propaganda. They're getting lots of social justice indoctrination, gender ideology and all this. And there are, you know, and they're still getting some some math and English along the way. And as I said, there's good teachers in there, but the system has all the wrong incentives. And then, uh, I mean, just uh, translating, uh, that no more was this on display than during COVID. And I I noted that you... uh, took judicial notice of uh, that sad little man, Tony Fauci, doing a, a bit of an about-face on vaccine mandates these days. Yeah, well, you know, for listeners who don't know, and they probably don't, it, it got almost no media coverage. Fauci now thinks it's okay that every American should have the choice of, of whether or not uh, they get vaccinated. He didn't use those words, but he, he you know, he, he is very clear. Um, he used the word choice, and then he said, quote, Make the vaccine available to everyone, but certainly recommend it to high-risk people. So he's even saying high-risk people, we should just recommend the vaccine to them and not force them. And, and you know, to me, this is very noteworthy. You know, throughout the pandemic, he, he always talked about vaccine mandates and, and supported them because he said they worked. They worked wow. in the sense that it, 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 it got people to do what he wanted them to do. But, uh, you know, that, that really isn't a scientific approach. He should be saying why he thinks vaccination is good and leave the, the ethics, which and that is a, that, that's an ethical question, not a scientific question about whether somebody should be coerced into taking this. He should have left that for other people. But, but throughout this, he, he, he really took his approach to I am the science and, and, and here's what I say and this is what you should do. Right, and don't deny science. You're denying me. But also, he did lie to the American people and said, if you get vaccinated, you can't give anybody COVID or get COVID, which was a bold-faced lie. So why do you think he's... Over and over. You know, and it wasn't just Fauci that made that claim, right? And, and that you could smell that one off from the beginning, the fact that this idea that if you got vaccinated, you couldn't get COVID, you couldn't spread COVID. And, and that might be part of the reason he's done this about face. It's just the simple acknowledgement that the vaccine's aren't doing what they, they initially claimed they could do. 
Well, not to mention we're still trying to recover from the policies, the policy response to COVID, uh, the K through 12 schools. There's been a lot of ink spilled over that. That's obvious. Also, this headline this week, Army scrambling to get back soldiers that kicked out over Biden's military vaccine mandate. So, you know, we have a recruitment problem in our military ranks, too. And now they're trying to mea culpa some of these guys to get back into uh, serving our country in uniform again. Another uh, consequence. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, this is really the politics of this has shifted a lot. And another little notice story, the DOJ, you can go out there, they're hiring, I, I think it's eight or ten new lawyers. They're, the, the DOJ's pre- preparing for a big lawsuit. And and under federal law, you know, people that were injured by the, by the vaccine, they can't they can't sue Pfizer or Moderna, um, but they are you know they're they're suing the, the Department of Justice on this. Yeah. And there was recently a federal court case in Louisiana that advanced. So so the politics of this are suddenly much more dicey. And 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 I think that's what Fauci he was always somebody that was going to take the path of least resistance. He wasn't acting on principle. He wasn't acting on science. Um, you know I think he had some of those mixed in there. But really he was kind of doing what what made sense politically at the time, um, which is why now suddenly he's singing a very different song on, on vaccine mandates. I'm glad he's come around and acknowledges that Americans should have the choice whether to take the vaccine or not. Um, it's just a shame it took him so long to get here. But, I mean, it, these numbers are astronomical to me. 8,000 U.S. service members were discharged from the military for refusing to take the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, look beyond, look, look beyond even that. Look at how, how many people, uh, private workers um, that were nurses and all these people that were that were um, fired because they, they decided they didn't want to take this. And, and this isn't whether or not vaccines are good or bad, right? Like, I'm not, I, I, I encourage some loved ones during the pandemic, I said, I, you're probably somebody that should maybe consider this. Um, it wasn't about that. It was about who got to choose what was best for them. John Milton Morris, the editor at FEE, FEE.org, F-E-E.org, Foundation for Economic Education. John, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Amy. You guys have a great Thanksgiving. All right, you too. And if you want to check him out on Twitter, Miltmore79, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Open mic! Open mic Friday! Call it now! Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's Open Mic Wednesday because this is our Friday because of the holiday, obviously. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Taking your calls with comments, compliments, concerns, criticisms, general correct pottery. We'll take it all. And, uh, of course, Open Mic Friday slash Wednesday. Brought to you by turnkey.pro. And we're pleased to be joined by turnkey.pro founder, David Kolsak. Dave. Hello, David. Good morning, Dan and Amy. How are you guys today? Good morning. Great. Happy Great. early Thanksgiving to you and your family. So much going on in the world. Uh, feels like we're drinking water through a fire hose, right? Um, I don't think I have any questions today, so you'll be happy about that. Uh, today I want to start by making a confession. So um, I, I'm a brutally honest person. Anybody that knows me uh, knows that I'm brutally honest. If you ask me, you know, if you look fat in that dress, you know, I'm going to tell you it's not the dress. Uh, but... No, rather you, but uh, it might be my Your wife is a very lucky woman. 
Yeah, yes. well, his wife's well, beautiful. Well, yeah, she's she very is. trim, though. I mean, she's trim, yeah. <laughs> I understand. Uh, but but yes. anyway, it, it may be my best quality, but it's also my worst quality, right? I, I can't lie. I can embellish. I'm a salesperson, certainly, but I can't lie on important things. And, and so I knew at a very young age that I was a polarizing guy. Either you loved me or you hated me. That's just the way it went, right? It's just, you know, so, but telling the truth is really hard for a lot of people and almost impossible today, right, in the mainstream media, right? Um you know, truth is punished a lot by today's standards. Uh, even if you believe in something, others might find the opposite of what we've been taught our whole lives. Like we had better rocket technology in 1969 than we do today, something like that. But what we see in the mainstream media is really an inverted truth with a smile. They do so well at convincing you, you know, what they say is true. It's propaganda. And that's why I turned them off years ago. So I want to start by reading something by a person called Bioclandestine on X. And he talks about about X. He said, do you, did you notice, did you happen to notice from 2020 until now that there's been a 30 point shift in favor of Trump among voters ages 13 through 34? Why? Because free speech on X, nearly 60% of X's 556 million users are ages 18 to 34. There's a direct correlation between Elon taking over Twitter and the shift in public perception, especially young among the young generations. They're finally being exposed to deep state corruption because of opposing viewpoints that weren't allowed to be voiced on X in real time to massive global audience. And, and now they are, I should say. Um, the conflicts in Ukraine and the Middle East have done irreparable damage to Biden's approval. The truth about these situations is only made available during Elon's, due to Elon Musk's control of the ascension of, and the ascension of citizen journalist movement. The younger voters are not learning the truth by watching the mainstream media. They're getting red-pilled on X. This is why the deep state feared would happen, what they feared would happen when Elon took over. This is what, why they fought him tooth and nail and set all the dogs loose on him. This is why media matters and the American Defamation League are trying to smear Elon and making false allegations about widespread anti-Semitism. They knew that if there was a free marketplace of ideas and opinions, that their propaganda would not be able to survive. And sure enough, once free speech was introduced, their control of the narrative dissipated rapidly and substantially. We are winning. So anyway, that's what he wrote. And I just recently watched the Tucker Carlson thing on X in his latest speech in Las Vegas. It was a riveting um, 30 minutes, and I would encourage people to watch it. It's his latest release, so if you can find it easily. Uh, he summed it up in 30 minutes, and millions of others um, can probably empathize with what he's saying people are either angry or they're paranoid or both and so i want to go back to like instincts and the idea of us having our own intuition you can see intuition and instincts in animals for that matter dogs you know they have instincts they know when you're sad when you're happy if you're leaving the house on vacation stuff like that mm -hmm. cows they lie down in fields you know before that before it rains people get nervous and jittery when they sense that something bad's going to happen and the truth is that when we have a visceral instinct, uh, we react to it that way. You have to listen to your gut and follow it. So, you know, maybe you should buy some gold and silver and some more ammo too, but that's happening right now. Um, people are angry and or paranoid, and that's what's happening this Thanksgiving. So people that I personally talk to are asking me, what should we do in this upside down world? You know, we're living in a really dark time with dark people that are ruling us and the stakes are really the ultimate stakes. And after watching Tucker yesterday, he distilled that you simply need to tell the truth. You know, writing your congressman won't help. 
you know, going to your local board meeting, although great and you should do it, might not help. But telling the truth is you have to do it in a kind manner and you have to, you know, just really be committed to the truth. And, and what will happen if you're steadfast in telling the truth? Um, it has to be your defense. You have to be able to tell it in all circumstances. And number one, what happens is the truth will be appealing to others. You know, women love strong men. I mean, Amy, you can say that, you know, women are attracted to men who are strong. They're not attracted to weak women. And children are attracted to parents, and they love their parents more because they're strong. Yep. Secondly, they want rules and boundaries, trust me. Completely. And the truth will make you stronger. You know, it, doing things like that and telling, telling the truth will make others uh, see it and, and it will spread like wildfire. Even dogs will know that you're, 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 when you're telling the truth, you're, you're stronger. And, and the, the biggest thing I think that the world worries about, the, the mainstream media and everybody worries about, is that the normal worker becomes awake and says, you know what, I'm not going to go to that DEI training. I'm just not going to do it. I don't believe in it. I think that's not for me. And when the world stands up, it's going to be a better place. So, again, if enough people tell the truth, not violently protest or call to arms, none of that stuff, just tell the truth, do it kindly and with your heart, this whole nonsensical charade of lies is going to stop. And if you've not listened to that Tucker thing, please do so. It's a good thing to be honest and very difficult in this cancel, cancel culture world. Uh, and, and as Tucker said so, so eloquently, always trust your gut. If you feel like they're lying to you, they are. So have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, yeah, here's a bite from Tucker Carlson from that speech that uh, Colsack was referencing, uh, and it's uh, on opting out. Take a listen. Tell the truth persistently, quietly, gently, politely, not spray painting it on buildings, just no, in a dignified way. No, I'm not doing that. Sorry. And here's why. If you're interested, I'll tell you, but I'm a free man and I'm not doing that. Ever. The third thing that happens if you adopt that posture is that they will back off. Because liars are weak. They are weak and afraid. They can't even admit that the president's senile. They are hiding behind a facade of lies. But the operative word, the verb in that sentence is hiding. They're hiding. Who hides? Weak people hide. Scared people hide. People who can't stand sunlight hide. That's who hides, and that's exactly what they're doing. They are weak, and they are afraid of the population. And I'm sad to say the population has given them very little reason to be afraid. But they're still afraid because they know they're doing wrong. They know they're serving lies. They know nothing they do or say is justifiable, can withstand scrutiny. And on some animal level, they are terrified of the day that the average person, not some stupid talk show host, but the average person who works at some big dopey company and shuffles to work every day in some pod with a drop ceiling and fluorescent lighting, that that guy is going to be like, no, I'm not going along with it, sorry. I'm not going to the DEI meeting today because I don't think you should discriminate people on, on the basis of their race. How's that? Because it's immoral, actually. And we've got a monument on the mall that shows that it's immoral. It's to Martin Luther King. And that was his core message. We're not going to discriminate against people on the basis of their skin color, period, for any reason. It's always wrong. This is immoral. I'm not participating. If enough people do that and things like it, this whole nonsense will end 
immediately. That's the one thing they can't handle. You don't have to take to the streets. You don't have to take Saturday off to hold a candle, carry some stupid spray-painted sign on a bed sheet. All you need to do is tell the HR lady, I'm opting out, and here's why. And I hope you will. Thank you. Uh, opting out. I mean, you sort of see that happening per our discussion uh, a couple times this morning on COVID. People are opting out. I'm not yep. taking it. I'm not listening I'm not to you. Listening to the, yeah, yeah. I'm, my kid's not getting the 72nd booster. We're not, I'm not doing it. I'm not vaccinating a six-month-old. Are they out of their minds? So we just need to see a little bit more of that across the, a range of other issues that directly impact people's quality of life and the freedom under which they're allowed to live it. Uh, Will Skokie, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, how you doing? Um, I was listening to an, uh, an interview, I think, between Tucker and the new president of Venezuela, mm-hmm. and he, he brought up a great... Uh, Argentina, you mean. Argentina, I'm sorry, you're right. Uh, he basically said that socialism likes lets the needs of some become the rights of all. And so basically what we have with kids now, kids have needs, and they think that they have a constitutional right to have those needs filled. This is the people where we get, you know, all the guarantee for 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 a basic income, the guarantee for for um, uh, housing, the guarantee for everything. And people have to learn, no, you got to work for stuff. And that's, I think, one of the things that we have to inculcate into the society today. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Will. Good call, Tom Blue Island. Hey Dan and Amy, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Dan wanted to regale a quick story of a gentleman named uh, Jeffrey Holt, uh, who was a resident of Hinsdale. I saw that not story. Hinsdale, Illinois, uh, Hinsdale, New Hampshire. Four million who, uh, died the day before yesterday, and uh, he drove a tractor. He, he mowed the lawn around uh, Hinsdale there. Everybody, he had a trailer with no furniture in it. And everyone assumed that he was destitute, and in, in actuality, he was worth somewhere around three and a half to four million dollars. He was the son of two college professors. He had no real family, and he took the three and a half to four million dollars that he had, and he gave it to the village. Uh, the woman's, the town administrator's name is Catherine Lynch. And Dan, she promised to spend the money as frugally as Mr. Holt had spent all his years earning it. Okay, and your and I just thought we I I got a I got a heck of a kick out of the fact that the guy spends all his he spends his whole life saving all his money. He's the child of a couple college professors. He never has any kids, and when he dies, he gets all his money to the state and that seems to me a perfect leftist life uh I, thanks for the call so that's maybe a little bit less of a charitable view than is probably do that that gentleman i mean it's a small community probably somebody that he trusted um you know grants for the parks and so on and so forth that he enjoyed i, I mean we don't have to infuse politics into everything. That's what the left does. I, I read that story. I didn't see it as particularly political or that he was being particularly political or that he was some sort of, uh, you know, statist automaton. I mean, I don't know. 
Hmm. Got a text message. Dan and Amy, please tell your audience to watch the German film, The Lives of Others. It's well, about yeah. the life under German Nazis. An excellent film, one of my favorites. No, it's a great film. Yeah. If, if, I mean, everybody should have already seen it. What are you doing? It's got to be 15 years old. Well, somebody texted in. Come on. Well, I know, but I'm, like, I know. You might have some time on your hands. It was just a, a message from a listener. Yeah, I got it. And, okay. I, and I'm commenting on that message. That's what I, that's what I do on this show. I comment. I make comments. Do uh-huh. you not know how this works? No, I, and so my comment uh-huh. is like, yeah, you keep up on your on your uh, important cultural offerings, God's sakes. And you can comment on my comment and be exasperated and, you know, do your whole, you know, woe is me bull job. What are you, it's uh, Thanksgiving. We're lighting up. Kip, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly light. Kip, Kip in Stillman Valley. Oh, you know what? This is great. I'm glad you came to me because I'm going to say I was going to talk about all the corrupt people that are in politics and the lawyers and that. that got Barack Obama into the Senate of Illinois. But I'm going to stop right there. Blagojevich, Pritzker, you, you think it out, man. Who's, who's carrying Joe Biden and the presidency? It's the same people, but I want to go to the the, the turkey dinner. You know what I like. Have you, have you gone into the Thanksgiving it? line already, uh, Kip? Uh, anyway, uh, no, what, what? Uh, uh, okay. of course I'm I'm in the holiday spirit. Well, yes. I'm going to the carcass oh, of the turkey. Well, you got to boil the 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 bones down in that bone marrow soup, and then have turkey and dumpling <laughs> soup. Okay. Isn't that wonderful? I love turkey and dumplings. That's my grandmother's, the Pulaski's, right next to, over there by the Rydowski's, next to the mm-hmm. the, the top dog shop by Zares. I by mean, Zares, they're, they're going to the you jewels. take the bus to the frickin' Cub game. All right, I love you all. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. Oh, boy, Merry Christmas got kicked in there, too. Yeah, I think... Um, happy New Year. I think uh, people that are going to have Thanksgiving dinner with Kip should be forewarned. Appreciate the call. Uh, Fun guy there. James in Schaumburg. Morning, guys. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. And uh, I hope everybody keeps the uh, holiday and general idea that it's a, uh, an allegory in many respects, not drilled down into the details, but just enjoy the day with your family as best you can. But I wanted to comment on the education theme we got going here. Uh, the education, you know, K through 12, it's awful. It's just being destroyed. I mean, I have information with, you know, with respect to like District 211 and all that. And, and the our good teachers, they're wanting to do the right job, but the structures and the reinforcement from administration, right on from funding, is destroying the education that our children are supposed to have. And it carries right up through, as the gentleman was talking earlier in the program, about the recruits that we get out of Harvard to the different intelligence agencies. Yep. It's just god-awful, and it's having a terrible effect. This isn't just something that's a college campus sort of whimsical, gee, look, the kids are just sowing their oats. It's having a terrible effect on the nation and the world because we are world leaders. Whether we like it or not, we are in that leadership position. I don't think we should ever step down from that position, of course. But we do need to really look at the core problems within education. 
and it's as soon as the Department of Education was established, it was a slippery slope down into wherever we are now. It's just god awful. Thanks for the call, James. I mean, I, you know, I go back to Rusty Reno, the editor of First Things, who uh, wrote this piece several years back. We had him on the show to talk about it, actually. That uh, he had decided to stop hiring anybody from the Ivy League schools. And, you know, you hate to be so that categorical because there's obviously good people that come out of the uh, that come out of Ivy League schools that have are smart and have talent and are not, you know, American communists. But I mean, his his point was well taken nonetheless. And um, you wonder uh, if that has to I mean, that would have to be translated by a different administration, of course. But with respect to what we heard from uh, Gagliano, the former supervisor agent at the FBI this morning, about the rank and file and what he saw over his 25-year career. Uh, I had the same conversation in part with Nick Nicholas Cass, a former CIA, NSC, uh, senior-level guy at uh, the U.S. Embassy in Turkey, State Department, about his 25-year career in intelligence and you know where— the rot is coming from when it comes to the, the quote-unquote deep state. Um, you could get that at Counterculture Podcast. Nicholas Cass is John Cass's brother. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, for all the talk about redlining certain people from these elite schools because of their alignment with Hamas and the uh, ghastly things they've said and done, you know, coming from some in the donor class to these universities, Maybe it needs to be more system wide, not, you know, by law or anything, of course, but private actors making private decisions that are consistent with. Well, protecting the integrity of their institutions, institutions that are central to. Our free society, if we're going to continue to have one. Yeah, maybe. Mike and Hammond. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I was kind of kind of disappointed with uh, President Biden with when he pardoned the turkeys. Not because he pardoned the turkeys, but the names of them. I thought he would go with Hunter and James for the names uh-huh. of those turkeys. That would have been fitting. Instead of Liberty and Bell. Yeah. Hi, oh, uh-huh. thanks for the call, Mike. Very good, uh, Kevin, Austin, Texas. Uh, hi, Jamie. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, a couple things I want to tell. What I'm thankful for. First, I'm thankful for your show. Uh, what you talk about. It helps me keep my Chicago accent down here in Austin, Texas. There you go. Uh, <laughs> second, it's, you give ammunition for people at Thanksgiving. I'm glad that you talked about Tucker Carlson because I think what he was saying essentially was you have to uh, present the truth with love. Uh, and I think if we do that at Thanksgiving table, that'll help. I'm also thankful for uh, it was Ben Franklin who said that the uh, national bird should be a turkey. Uh, and bringing up, which is kind of ironic, but anyhow, Ben Franklin also said, uh, you know, we have a republic if we can keep it. And I'm glad we have a republic that we can get involved and actually change things. And I want to encourage people that are in Chicago. I hope you don't give up hope. I know it doesn't look good. But I really think if you change the Republican Party in Illinois, you can win back at least four congressional districts, especially if you focus on DuPage County. But again, thank you so much for your show. I don't know. Right. Dan, Thanks don't you think call, DuPage Kevin. County's gone? Or is there still hope? Well, I mean, it's... I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, Argentina was gone. This conversation yeah, we've had about Mele for the last three days. Argentina was gone for the last half century at least, and then a revolt happened. 
And did you hear what happened in Charleston, South Carolina? They just elected their first Republican mayor since 1877. Yeah. That's huge. So, uh, you know, but the the question is you have to do something to stoke a revolt. So who is the person or the people doing something that uh, under the banner of the Republican Party? I have no idea. I don't see it. I don't hear about it. So is DuPage gone? I mean, well, yeah, if there's no fight. That's been the problem for two decades. We don't want to fight. We want to fall in. Mm-hmm. The bipartisan combine. Whatever phrase or description you prefer, but it all takes you to the same place. There is no competing vision. There is no fight. There is no self-policing. There are very few people with any integrity in the Republican Party in Illinois. So I don't know where you go with that. And there doesn't seem to be much impetus from those that are even semi-engaged in the party to change any of that, to change the leadership, to change an organization. I mean, there are exceptions, right, we can point to. And we have, and we've had them on the show. And I don't just mean candidates or politicians, but or local organizations. There's a few. But I mean, nothing that rises to the level of competing with the power structure that exists, particularly when you're fighting ostensibly your own party in addition to trying to fight the actual power structure. So, you know. And we're not waiting for Godot. I guess we're waiting for Melee. I don't know where that person's coming from. Uh, Nick, Northwest Side. Yeah, thank you. I want to say that in that part of the world, there's always hostility against uh, 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 our way of life. A lot of these uh, people who are, who are radicals and extremists and terrorists, I'm not saying the average uh, Arab and, and not the average Islamic person, but these people have a lot of influence and intimidate others to follow them. Um, if there were no Israel and no Jews ever, I don't mean just now. I mean, if they, they would still hate us because we have what they consider to be a materialistic and pagan society. And Iran has made it clear that the little Satan, which is uh, Israel, and a big Satan, which is America, these have to be dealt with, in their opinion, somehow. And Saudi Arabia does be the last thing. Years and years ago, I used to run some ads about how good they were to America, how they were friends with uh, uh, then uh, President Eisenhower, and they've always come through for America when we need something. Well, now they're chummy with Russia and Putin. Uh, so, you know, we got to defend Israel. That's our only friend in that area. And uh, just like uh, I'm sure Israel uh, allows us to have access to things that they defend us. And that's it. Thanks for the call, Nick. Mary Kay, Western Springs. Oh, hi, you guys. Happy Thanksgiving week. Um, and happy belated birthday, Amy. Oh, thanks. Uh, I went to the, my first Freedom Summit on my birthday, and so you and I are both Scorpios. And I was thinking about um, the, the woman who was in the news who was talking about being Scorpio and saying, like, I don't know how people don't know what to do with all of this, you know, all of her Scorpioness and yeah, the uh, oh, director, right, the director. of uh, diversity uh, at the CTA, mm-hmm. yeah, Who's right, sacrificing her, yeah. so much so. for the greater good of the community. So she thinks, right? Yes. 
<laughs> well, I don't know what people are supposed to be doing with all my Scorpionas either, you know, and yours too, Amy. It's like, yeah, we're Scorpios. What? I, I just thought it was such a bizarre comment that that lady made. And, you know, from uh, one Scorpio to another, I think we're pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call, know. Mary We've got Gray. a lot of va-va-voom. Yes. Um, hmm. A uh, mm, couple things think? I do want to get to. We still have time. Mm, Joe in Arlington Heights, the poet laureate of Chicago's Morning Answer. Well, I'll try not to let you down. I heard Richard from India Head Park call in the first hour and give thanks to you guys, and that just inspired me to sit down and jot something oh, good. together to say how much we appreciate you. The poem's called Our Morning Answer. We have three friends most have never met, but we're together each weekday morn. They're bright and polished on many things, and they keep us well informed. Sometimes they make us laugh, except when themselves they bicker. Amy bravely stands her ground, but Dan is often quicker. Reporter, talker, and mother strong, parental love to Amy belongs. But like her journalist brethren, sometimes she can't help but butt in. And Mike, the solid anchor pro, smoothly makes the newsroom go. We all trust him to relay the news we need to know each day. And we can't forget the unseen crew that operates the broadcast stream. While you toil behind the scenes, your dedication gives voice to the talent team. Then there's the guy with top billing. What a way to make a living. Against the stream of culture, he oft swims. With masterful logic, he flies to win. So on this Thanksgiving Day, all your listeners wish wish to say, although we can't often show, to all of you, our appreciation grows. Thank you, Amy, Mike, Dan. We do appreciate you today and every day. Thank you, Joe. Hold on a second. I want to get a copy of that because, you know, I want to put that up on my refrigerator, um, first of all. But, um, no, seriously, we need to get a copy of that poem so that we can post it uh, online. I appreciate that, Joe. That's wonderful. All of us do. Thanks for the call, Joe. We put put you on hold. All right, and then you'll get we'll get your particulars and get a copy of that. Very good. That was great. Yeah, and we couldn't do it without Justin and Quinn. That's for sure. Who are not main, mentioned by Joe? No, that they was, weren't. That was but an, I was that just was, trying to say Justin Quinn. <laughs> that was an intentional slight, I think. Um, no, the um, I mean we got our own little Carl Sandburg here uh, and Joe. That was Carlton really I. really thoughtful. All right. I really appreciate that. And then yesterday at the Tom Serafin party, so many people came up and said, thank you so much. And thanks, Dan, for what you do. What? We're the only voice in Chicago. Yeah, I had some. At the Tom Serafin party. Oh, yeah. A lot of people. I could not believe it. And people are like, hmm. do you know that judge? I said, no, I, I didn't. I've never met him before in my life. Like, well, he seems to know you because he came up and he said he listens to the show and he's very appreciative. Hmm. And then they asked where you were. And I said, in the bathroom. At his home in Naples. <laughs> That's surprising. Oh, That's surprising. I was. I've Tom never Serafin had party. that before, yeah. Dan. I mean, yeah. it was really nice. What did, did Kim Fox have nice things to say about Kim us? Fox? No, she didn't. She just said hello, Amy, and then gave me a hug, and I it was. I was very. I don't understand. I've never had the pleasure, um, but if I did see her, I mean, I'd be pleasant, but I wouldn't. Oh, I was hug pleasant. Her. Yeah. I wouldn't hug her like John Cass did. John Cass hugged her. I saw it with my own eyes. And Maybe like, did what is give going her... on? He's like, just, just you know, she's on the way out. She's spreading holiday cheer. Was it a Judas kiss that he offered? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. 
I don't know. Now, now I'm a little suspect of cast. We may have an enemy inside the perimeter. I tweeted out a picture of John at the event just to prove, but I didn't get the hug. All right, we were talking about yes, um, the Hallmark Channel things. yesterday. Oh yeah, and the side hustle that you may be able to get to watch the Hallmark movies and then rank them for this uh, flower operation. You get paid uh-huh. for it, and uh, even though you don't remember any of the actors in all these Hallmark no, and Lifetime movies, well, Scott Wolf's in a lot of them and all that. Uh, was he uh, uh, a B actor? Yeah, what 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 was the terrible uh, um, drama he was in? Was Justin, that, he, can you help me out here? That was he, he was in. The, was he in, in the a, with the one with uh, um, what's her name? Oh gosh, no, I'm party of five. Yes, that's a, exactly. Bingo. Thank you. Yes, yes, with that yeah, uh, uh, Neville chick. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Right. Mm-hmm. What's her first name? I don't. I don't know. Um. Uh, right, yeah, so, he stars in a lot of uh, Hallmark movies. Yeah. Well. That's what happens when you wash out a party of five, I guess. All right, so here is um, – this is like a compli- – this is every Hallmark movie. Okay. And it starts with this uh, – just to give you a bit of a visual, and then I'll let the actors take it from there. Okay. Uh, it starts with a woman walking uh, in the woods, you know, the snow-draped woods, and comes across – you know, a guy just randomly happens to be chopping wood in the woods. Of course, because that's what people do in the woods. Oh my gosh, it is so great to be back in my quaint hometown. It is a welcome break from my high-paying New York City job that has left me a little cold and materialistic. No, Linda, I said I needed those deliverables streamlined into cash flow. (laughs) Hold on, I need to circle back. Steve Borgalugi, is that you? Chloe Vander Fleming? Wow. Wow. It's good to sit. I had a crush on you in high school. Yeah, but now you were good looking. Yeah, I am. This axe really helps. What are you doing for a living? I am a New York executive and I am having it all. Okay. What are you doing for a living? I chop down trees for people's Christmas living rooms. Oh, so you have no money. Is that a- What level Hulu account do you have? Does that really matter? Do you even have Disney Plus? I don't even know what that is. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Steve. Wait for the <laughs> it sure is great having it all. Right? I have everything I want except love. But there are so many eligible men in New York. Yes, but I am no New York supermodel. You see, I am just attractive enough to catch the eye of somebody in this small town. That's true. I did see Steve Borgalugi today. He is cute. He sure is. But he is broke. No, he isn't. What? He invented the internet. (laughs) Well, now I am attracted to him. Right? But I called him broke to his face. How do I win him back? Probably a grand gesture that could be the climax of this movie. Okay. And I don't want to spoil the ending, but, you know, you get the gist of it. Oh, that is fantastic. It's really good. He invented the internet. (laughs) Uh, Ed in Chicago Heights, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, people. Uh, Happy uh, Synthetic Feast of Tabernacles. A uh, month late, but at least we celebrate. That's what it's based on. But uh, the FBI guy is really disappointing when he thinks that the bottom is corrupt and the top is corrupt, but somehow uh, the FBI 
uh, is worth saving when it's a vision of America. In fact, it's a vision of the of the USA's worst traitor, Woodrow Wilson. That's the vision. If you read the senators' replies, they thought it was too good to be true, and they didn't want it. They couldn't even get agents from anywhere. You got to read what the senators said that only a totalitarian dictatorship requires a secret police force. Thanks for the call, Ed. Appreciate it. Um, just a note on Thanksgiving. People may be interested where the big guy, Mr. Ten Percent, President Biden, is spending his Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, where? his old buddy David Rubenstein, the guy who essentially funds the National Archives and installs oh. the National Archives directors, like really? the National, like the National Archives director first David Ferrero and then Colleen Shogan, who. Uh, essentially launched the classified document investigation, criminal investigation into President Trump. That's where he'll be. But don't think there's any collusion. Oh, no, not at all. Chuck and Delavan. Chuck. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Uh, get on the interstate, Amy. Friday night, get Bunky up here to the bottle shop. We got uh, Mr. and Mrs. Claus from 5.30 to 7.30. So if you get a chance, happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and uh, thanks for letting me always close your show. God bless. God bless, God Chuck. Bless. Thank you. All right. Happy, all right. Happy Thanksgiving. What she said. I got to do it. Um, Where are you going to be, seriously, for Thanksgiving? Are you really going to get a Hungry Man Jack? Yeah. TV trade dinner? Whatever. Yeah. Hike uh, and I'll split it. We'll fight over the potatoes. Okay. Please tweet that out. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.